Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. This is the Fireside Chat. That's the Fireside. I'm the chat. That's the dog. How is he doing? That's Otto. I, arguably, as I have said in the past, but I should say this, though, I don't want him to hear it. Get a little conceited. He might be the best-known dog in America today. Not only America, around the world. We, I just looked now. We got questions from all over the world, from Africa and from the Middle East, from the Caribbean. Uh, anyway, that's Otto, who's, who's very special. But everybody thinks their dog is special. Isn't that the truth? I guess to a certain extent, I guess everybody's dog is special. Although I'm telling you, I want to do an hour of radio once uh, because I, I love to talk about everything. I'm, I'm going to ask people to call in if they, if they hate their pet. <laughs> I, I had a friend. I have a friend. Uh, he had a dog. He's still living, thank God. But he hated his dog. And his dog hated him. Loved his wife, but but they, they really they really disliked each other. It's very funny, actually. I wonder how common that is at all in the world, where people just don't like their dog or cat or what have you. Anyway, uh, this is just uh, you and me having a chance to talk about life, whatever's on my mind, what, uh, and I take questions from you, and it's it's a very wonderful experience. I, I just want to remind you, by the way, that really none of these are dated. So if you go back to episode 17, it'll be just as worthwhile. Because I, I raise issues that are just really, really worth, uh, I believe, if I'm allowed to say that about my own ideas. But look, I have to say it about my own ideas. Let's, let's be honest. If I didn't think I had something important to say, wouldn't I be a fool? For, for taking up your time. Anyway, you wouldn't spend the time, so that, that's, that's the, other, the other point. But anyway, they are important. Now, I want to just remind you, before we begin, I am delighted to tell you that today's episode of the Fireside Chat is sponsored by Colorado Christian University. CCU Online has partnered with PragerU to offer adults the opportunity to pursue an accredited degree taught with conservative values. CCU Online offers more than 80 academic programs designed specifically for adult learners. Most classes at CCU Online are only five weeks long. You can take one class at a time and still have the time for the rest of your life. All courses incorporate a God-centered, from a Christian perspective, worldview, but anybody is welcome, obviously. They just want you to know what their perspective is. That has been a cornerstone of the university for more than a century. So whether you need to finish your bachelor's degree or start your master's or even doctorate, you should consider attending CCU online. Go to PragerU.com CCU. Fill out the form and receive more information. You'll get connected with an enrollment counselor who can help put together a degree plan that fits your schedule. Okay, everybody. So... Some thoughts today on something I read today in the New York Times, and I'm going to start tweeting. I have been very remiss in that arena, and I, I know why I hesitate, because I don't, I'm not incendiary, and I'm not saying everybody who tweets is incendiary, but I, I'm very careful with words, and so before I send out a tweet, I want to be very careful 
you're you're somewhat limited in space, so you can't develop an idea. In other words, it runs against, in certain ways, it runs against my nature to do that. But I, I think it's important. So here is something I read in the New York Times today. So listen to this. It was the, the reason I read it, it. It was a very sad little headline. It was like it was the physical edition, like page ten or something. And I think the headline was "Man Shoots Waiter in in Paris uh, or in or in France because the waiter." Uh, um, took too much time, uh, which, and, and that really is the case. That's what happened. The guy got so angry at him, and, and also the guy's carrying a gun, I mean, which is pretty rare in, in, in uh, Europe. But he was carrying a gun, shot the waiter dead, because he got angry at him for, for uh, what he thought was taking too long to deliver the food. So I was interested in this, because it is just such a, an, a bizarre and sad thing. But then I came across this line. Listen to this. So, uh, an article in today's New York Times on a man who shot and killed a waiter in Paris describes, quote, this is what the article describes, the Saint-Denis-Departement department, it's like a region, area, how, how French cities are divided, on the outskirts of Paris, where poor social conditions have often led to crimes and social unrest. And then it continued with the article. This was, this is one of those moments, it's a giveaway as to the left-right difference in the world. The, the, the New York Times is on the left, so the writer of the article takes it as a given that if there is crime, it's because of poor social conditions. So I'm writing in my tweet, that in a nutshell is one of the major differences between the left and the right. On the left, they believe poverty causes crime. On the right, we believe crime causes poverty. That is big. When I was developing my thinking, what... One of the first things I ever asked myself, this this goes back as far as high school, whenever I would hear anything, I would immediately ask myself, does that make sense? That was the, like, it was like, it's a built-in question since I was a child. Does that make sense? That's why I'm a big believer in using reason. That's why my Bible commentary is called the Rational Bible. I use reason to explain the Bible. That's why, it, if, even if you have no faith, I think it'll be hopefully one of the most important books you'll ever read, because it's got there's so much wisdom in the Bible, even if you're not a believer. But I, I, I think something has to make sense. I, I really do. And so I remember hearing poverty causes crime when I was a kid. And so what was, I remember the first thing I thought. I thought of my father's parents, immigrants to the United States from Russia, uh, Russia, Poland, and uh, they were very poor. Essentially, my father supported them. My grandfather, whom I, I, I never knew, uh, 
he died when I was two, unfortunately. I knew my other grandparents, the other three. He was a tailor. Tailors don't make a lot of money to begin with. But he was a tailor during the Depression. <laughs> so he, he made, he, he was unemployed. Uh, so my, my father's mother, I don't know if, if she worked for money. I know she did a lot of volunteer work. Anyway, they were very poor. And the first thing I thought of when I heard poverty causes crime, now remember, when people say poverty causes crime, they're referring to violent crime. Everybody understands that if you don't have bread, you'll steal bread. And everybody understands that that's acceptable. No one thinks it is, it is moral to starve to death if, if you have access to, to uh, bread. That, that, I mean, the, the very fact that society is letting you starve to death means that there is some corruption involved. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, murder and rape and, and beatings and muggings and, and uh, bank robbery. I mean, okay, that's what I'm talking about. So I, the first thing I thought of was, well, if poverty causes crime, why can I not imagine my grandparents, or particularly since mostly it's men involved in violence, it was inconceivable to me that this grandfather, though I didn't meet him, it was still inconceivable to me that he would hold up a bank or rape a woman or, or uh, uh, shoot somebody or what have you. It, it, was, it was inconceivable to me. And I, then I, so then I said to myself, well, why is it inconceivable to me? Dennis, why is it inconceivable to you? And then I came up with the answer that has stayed with me since I came up with the answer in my own mind in high school because of his values. It is inconceivable that my grandfather would have, would have committed a, a violent crime because his values would, would not permit him to do so. And then I, then I realized the obvious, because it is obvious. People who hurt people do so because of a values problem, not because of a financial problem. The notion that poverty causes crime is based on the Marxist materialist view of life, that mat materialist as in matter, that, that economics determines human behavior. That's, that is the essence of the left-wing worldview. Economics determines behavior, not values. That's why if you actually, to this day, in America, and I'm sure in Europe, if you blame murderers, especially if they're a minority, a minority in terms of race, ethnicity, if you blame them, then you are sort of uh, blaming the victim as if the murderer is the victim and not the murdered. But that's what you hear all the time. Oh, you're blaming the victim. But what are they a victim of? Oh, racism and, and poverty. Well, I don't, I, I don't understand that either. Again, as a Jew, I thought about, well, the racism. Okay, well, the most enduring hatred in human history is anti-Semitism. If you want to read about it, I wrote a book on it called Why the Jews. It's in print, and you can order it. It's just, just translated last week into Hungarian. And uh, this is the most enduring hatred in history. 
Jews went through the most systematic uh, oppression in the history of the world in the Holocaust. One out of every three Jews in Europe was sent uh, to be to be murdered, including babies. There, there was there have been other horrors. Believe me, I document all these other horrors. I have a whole video on on why we why don't we hate communism as much as Nazism. But there there was something unique about a modern industrialized society taking people from their homes and shipping them to death. Uh, it's we we really don't have uh, quite such a parallel, uh, anything quite like that industrialized murder. And so I was thinking, well, if oppression, racism, uh, uh, makes causes you to commit crimes, why didn't Jews go around murdering people after the Holocaust? I mean, that would that's the most obvious example. I mean, they they didn't even Jews didn't even go around shooting Germans once the Holocaust ended. And, and the answer is they had values. It's, you, you, don't, you don't murder. It, it, the fact that you were oppressed doesn't give you an excuse to be a bad person any more than, than your financial state. But here it is. This is today's New York Times. Where did I put that sheet? Yeah, this is today's New York Times in an article, <coughs> in a throwaway line. That's the beauty of it. This is not an opinion piece. It's a news piece. It happened on the outskirts of Paris where poor social conditions have often led to crimes. That's it. Poor social conditions. The writer of this piece undoubtedly went to college, went to university overwhelmingly went to, to graduate school. That's what you learn. Now, imagine if, can you imagine it wouldn't have even been printed in the New York Times on the outskirts of Paris where lousy values have often led to crimes? <laughs> can you imagine that? The, the editor would have said, what, what are you, nuts? What, what, what are you, right wing? <laughs> That's what the editor at the New York Times would have written if the guy had written the truth where people with crappy values hurt other people. <laughs> That's what it's about. And it, it, it's astonishing to me that that is controversial, that values determine the way you treat people, not your financial state. It's, it's, it's baseless. The assumption is baseless. And as I wrote... Uh, with regard to poverty causes crime specifically, crime causes poverty. Where there is a lot of crime, you get poverty. That's the way it works. And where people work hard and don't commit crimes, that community rises above poverty. They leave poverty. That's it. Act decently. Treat your fellow human being honestly and decently. Get married before you have a child. Go to work, do an honest day's work, you will leave poverty. It is a guarantor. It's, it's, it's aggravating that the antithesis of truth is told as truth at the universities of the Western world. Why do these people, I don't know what neighborhood that is, I have no idea, I don't know what it is ethnically, I don't, I don't care. Uh, I don't care if it's white, I don't care if it's, if it's Muslim, I don't care whatever it is. 
whatever I just said is true. And yes, crime does cause poverty. Uh, an obvious reason, people don't want to open stores where there's a lot of crime. You don't open stores, you're not going to have a thriving community. Right? Would you open a store in a, in a crime-ridden community? No. So the community gets even poorer. Because, but what if tomorrow every criminal in, in, a, in, a, in a bad section of America uh, or any country, they say, you know what? Uh, we watched a lot of PragerU videos and uh, we read the Bible and we decided that uh, we're going to try to be good people. The place would uh, leave poverty in 10 years. Businesses would move in, banks would open. It'd be a different world. But uh, this is what they believe at the New York Times. The well-educated secular believe nonsense. Truly nonsense. And I knew it in high school because I knew my grandparents would never mug, never rape, never murder, etc. I just knew it. And they were poor. Okay, what are your questions? All right, first one, is this, is our, is this our first from Mozambique? Good. Milton, 21 years old, Maputo, Mozambique. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Milton. You know, I got to say, it, it, it's somewhat of a, of a high still. I don't, it's a, it's a gift that, of my nature from either God or genes. I never lose getting excited. I'm never jaded. I don't have a jaded bone in my body. To sit here in my home and talk to people in Mozambique and Jamaica and France and Serbia and Uruguay and Australia and, and uh, for that matter, five, five streets from me is, uh, is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. It's, it's a blessing, and I, and I, I really do appreciate it. Hi, Dennis. Considering countries like Singapore and China that are thriving economically but have political systems that are far from the democracy of the U.S., wouldn't you agree that a good dictatorship, with its leaders doing well in leading their countries, is better than a bad democracy where people can uh, choose poorly the fate of their own countries? Thanks for taking my question. Well, this is a very uh, age-old question, Milton. Uh, is a benevolent democracy better than an inefficient democracy? Is it, is I, did I say benevolent democracy? No, benevolent dictatorship. Is a benevolent dictatorship better than a poorly functioning democracy? It can be. If you have a truly terrific uh, leader who is not democratic then that could work for a period of time. Uh, the, I mean, to deny that is to deny reality. But uh, I'm opposed to it uh, because it's still not free. I don't only value the material. I value freedom. I'd rather be free and poor than rich and unfree. <laughs> It's like uh, all these years, I, they, all, the left has been, was extolling the Cuban Revolution. And one of the things that they cite, oh, yeah, well, Castro, it's true, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a free country, but there's a 100% literacy rate. It's higher literacy rate than even in America. 
And I remember saying from the beginning, I'd rather be illiterate and free than literate and, and in a communist country <laughs> where I can't read anything I want. Where all I could read are, you know, the works of Marx and Lenin and, and, and Castro. It's, it's, uh, but this, this goes to my point. People don't value liberty. I've, I've said this now for years. People value being taken care of more than they value freedom. Liberty is a value, not an instinct. Being taken care of is an instinct. So, uh, yes, theoretically, the trains could run on time and, you know, some business thrive. I mean, co communist China is a better example than Singapore. Singapore is a lot freer than, uh, than communist China. There's no comparison. But, uh, yes, uh, if, uh, by the way, over the long run, it's not going to work. Even the economy of China is not going to work. And... and it's rooted in so much corruption, both in China and internationally. Uh, I, I am not optimistic for China. And the events of Hong Kong, which I, I ought to talk or address one of these times, it's very, very important. But uh, that's the answer. Look, Churchill said it, Churchill uh, said it, it's a very famous quote. What is it? The democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. That's true. And by the way, democracy can, in fact, create the seeds of its own destruction. And I'll tell you one, one reason, and this is what I fear for the United States. Uh, this is another quote. I don't know. It's not Churchill, but I don't, I don't remember who it is. But it, and I'm not getting it right, but this is, I'm paraphrasing. The day people, somebody said this a long time ago, the day people realize that they could vote into power people who will give them money, that is the end of society. That's what's happening in the United States. And, and to a certain extent in, in Europe, certainly. That's, I'll never forget when George W. Bush was running for president. He had a public forum. It was on television. I was watching it. Some woman got up and she said, Mr. Bush, if you're elected, what will you do for me? And, and it was so painful, that question. First of all, I realized, boy, had America deteriorated. I was a little boy when John Kennedy was elected, and, and I remember him saying the famous words, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And everybody thought it was a great line. Not now. Now it's ask what your country can do for you. The woman had no shame. By the way, I thought, because I always think this, how would I answer if I were running for office. So I remember at the time thinking, this is what I would say, ma'am, nothing. I will do nothing for you. I will do a great deal for America, but I will do nothing for you. I know I lost your vote, but I need you to know where I stand. That's what I would say. I think a lot of, of, of people would appreciate that, but a lot of people wouldn't. So uh, democracy is a real problem because that's what, that's what the left is. Vote for us, we'll give you money. It's as simple as that. Give you more and more and more and more and more and more benefits. What was I just reading? Was, is it, is it uh, Atlanta? 
I don't remember which city. They now give all kids in school breakfast and lunch. And I am totally opposed to that, totally. Parents have to give their children food. If a parent can't feed their child, then we have to figure out why. Maybe they're very ill and they need to be helped. Maybe they're on drugs, in which case the kids might have to be raised elsewhere. I don't know why, but that is a rather basic parental obligation to feed your own children. It is not the society's obligation to feed your children. It is yours, and you can feed your children for really, really cheap, uh, uh, for really little money. It does not. It is incredible how cheap food is in the United States. People laugh at it, but you can, in fact, eat healthfully at McDonald's for very little money. Don't get a Big Mac. Get get uh, get, get grilled chicken, and don't eat the bun. You'll be doing fine. Get the burger. Don't don't get the bun. Don't don't get it stacked high up with uh, with mayonnaise and stuff. And it's really inexpensive. If you can't afford. Uh, a few dollars per meal, something is awry. We got to figure out what it is, but the, the schools should not be doing it. What this does is it undermines parents. And that's terrible. All right. That was the democracy question. Jacob 20, Owings Mills, Maryland. Hi, Dennis. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thank you. And I hope it continues for a long time. Uh, that's the plan. My question is, do you have any opinions that are not rational? I don't think so. I, I have tastes that are completely irrational. Why I, I prefer, let's say, Thai food to, uh, to Chinese food. They're not that different. Well, they are different. That, that's, that's not rational. I acknowledge, of course not. There's a whole realm of you know, why, why I prefer uh, this piece of music to that piece of music. I have a tremendous number of, of if you will, okay, I'll use opinions, but on, on issues, I don't believe I have any that are not rational. That is why, if you can show me where I don't meet the criteria of reason, I may change my mind. Reason is not enough, however. People think that reason is enough and therefore you don't need God or higher values. Reason, reason, is reason is indispensable but not sufficient. It is reasonable if, on, on a purely rational, on purely rational grounds, it is reasonable not to spend a lot of money on, on 90 year olds who are sick. Just is. But they're but they're 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 infinitely valuable a ninety year old human, so we spend the money. If we if we dropped all public assistance, the economy could be booming. Uh, but it's not moral. There has to be some public assistance. By the way, every conservative knows that there has to be some public assistance. But we don't believe in free breakfast and lunches. Marco, 20, Belgrade, Serbia. I was in Belgrade when it was Yugoslavia, before you were born. When stuck in a rut, 
How do you climb out of it and pull yourself back together? It's a toughie. Uh, it's very easy to get into a rut. A rut is a bad habit. Is that fair to say? Is that more or less synonymous? Rut, I don't, does he mean emotional rut or rut of, of lousy behavior? I think he might mean. It means emotional rut? Maybe. Okay. Well, this is what, this is what I do when I get unhappy. And I wrote a book on happiness, so I, I, and I've lectured on it a lot. It's a very important subject. The first thing that I do, and I'm blessed, I'm essentially, I've, I've worked on it and my nature is toward the happy. But whenever I've gotten unhappy, whenever I even just feel in a bad mood, I ask myself immediately, why am I in, in this rut? Why am I in this bad mood? And I will not rest until I figure out why. Then I, eat, I have two choices. Do something about it or accept that it is part of life or, and it's, I can't change it. The famous 12-step thing, you know, God give me the wisdom to distinguish between what I can change and what I can't change and what I can't change enable me to accept but if you can't change it first you have to figure out why you're in a rut that is, otherwise there's no way out now by the way on some cases it might be biochemical and you will need you know an antidepressant if that's what you're referring to i my original response was a rut is just a series of recurring uh destructive behavior that so i'll deal with that maybe another time but Number one is you must figure out why. And I'm a big behaviorist. If you start acting a if you start acting happy, you will be happier. If you start acting good, you will be happier. If you it, I can't believe that people are happier watching a lot of video, whether it's video games or television or internet. Fun is good in small doses. In big doses, it doesn't make people happier. It's a very interesting thing. It's sort of like salt. A little salt on food is fantastic. A lot of salt on food is awful. So that's how I look at fun. I have other views on fun. It's in my book, Happiness is a Serious Problem. Chad, 40, how are we doing on time? 30. It's 30? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then, in light of that, I got so many good ones. I know what I'll end up with this. Abdullah. Abdullah. Yeah, I say Abdullah. I guess that's how. We... 22, Damam, Saudi Arabia. Ahalan wa sahalan. Uh, hey, Mr. Dennis, I'm a Muslim person. Have you ever read the Holy Quran? Why or why not? Actually, you will be surprised to know I studied Islam and I studied Arabic. And while um, very slowly I could, I could read a well, clearly printed version of the Quran, or of Allah Ram for that matter, or, uh, I don't understand most of it, I admit it. My vocabulary never developed, but I, I did study it for three years, Arabic. 
and I and I read uh, much. I didn't read all of the Quran. I read much of it, and uh, it's a it's a it's a totally interesting question that you posed, because you probably want to know my reaction. I don't think he's just asking, did I read it? Um, and I know that. Uh, a lot of Muslims believe that if a non-Muslim reads the Quran, they will almost inevitably become a Muslim. And I appreciate your love and reverence for the Quran. But uh, I don't assume that, you know, I, I have read the New Testament and I'm not a Christian. There are people who've read the Old Testament, they're not Jewish. Uh, people can deeply appreciate others' holy texts and not necessarily become a member of that religion. But I will tell you one thing that you'll find of interest. A woman called my radio show many, many years ago, and she said, she said, Dennis, I'm a Muslim, and I would like to know why aren't you a Muslim? And I told her I really am touched that she would ask, because it means that she thinks I think these things through. And I was complimented by the question, actually. And this is the answer that I gave her. I said, I can answer you in a nutshell. Islam in Arabic means submit to God. I'm a Jew. Israel, the name of my people, uh, religiously, Israel means struggle with God. I rather struggle with God than submit to God. And she said, Thank you. That was a good answer. She was very touched by it because it made sense to her. And, and it makes it, it, it I, I would still stand by that, uh, by that answer in, in many ways. Obviously, in the final analysis, I submit to God, but I spend a much of my time also struggling. Why is there so much suffering? Well, maybe I should talk about that once. It would be a good, good topic. Anyway, I began with this issue of, uh, of, does poverty or bad values cause crime? It's a very, it's a very big deal. So, uh, what can I remind you? Um, if you want to know, by the way, where I'm lecturing, I, I lecture in a lot of places. Go to Where's Dennis at DennisPrager.com, and uh, I know I have one in Montreal coming up on happiness. Interestingly enough, you might want to check that out. I have a big evening with Ravi Zacharias coming up in Colorado Springs. So there's a lot, lot of stuff. Uh, coming up. And I do want to remind you that my, uh, my, my major work that I'm involved in is my rational Bible. Two of the five volumes have come out, Genesis and Exodus. I think you'll love it, whatever your religion. So until next time, on behalf of Otto and everybody else, the Prager household, thank you so much for watching. See you then. CCU exists to train leaders. We want to build the church, we want to engage the culture, but we want to help you prepare for your calling. Our adult and graduate studies programs give adult students the opportunity to earn their degree at their own pace, whether you're studying at home, the office, or somewhere in between. The possibilities for online education are now endless. However, many students who enroll in online programs don't finish. Why is that? Because they don't have the support team to help them get through the program. 
And that's part of the CCU difference. We do have that team to help you, not only orient you to studying online, but also to help you finish the program, get your degree, and achieve your goals.